We affirm that God's word is authoritative on everything to which it speaks, and we affirm that God's word speaks abundantly regarding the nature and importance of civil government and justice. We affirm that God's moral law is enduring and binding on all people throughout all time, including civil authorities and nations, and that it is summarily comprehended in the Ten Commandments. We further affirm that every political thought must be taken captive to the obedience of Christ. We affirm that Christ will judge every civil authority according to their conformity to his command. That's the, the first half, the affirmation portion of Article 3, the standard of justice, in a statement called the Statement on Christian Nationalism and the Gospel. It came out in the first half of 2023 with a promise to update it before the end of 2023. And to my knowledge, they haven't done so yet, at least as we record today's show. Um, it hasn't been updated. And yes, we're recording because who's going to do a live radio show on the morning of Christmas Eve? Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas! Did Sinterklaas leave anything nice in your stocking? <laughs> All right, don't get me started. We've done shows on that in the past. If you go back in the archive, you can find my opinions on Christmas. Just like everything else, they are, are passionate and a little bit outside the norm. <laughs> <laughs> so it makes it interesting, Troy. Yeah. So, all right. So I just read. Uh, we're, we're working our way through the, this statement on Christian nationalism. David Forsey's on the show with me. I'm Troy Skinner. I'm the pastor of Household of Faith in Christ. You can find uh, me in the show and David, for that matter, online at householdoffaithinchrist.com. David's church doesn't have a website, so the best way to reach him is to reach me, and I can put you in touch if you're interested. So we're working through this uh, two weeks ago. On the show, we talked about the, the opening part of this statement and got through Article 1 and 2, and then the intention was to tackle Article 3 last week, but we got into the background of how we got to this place on yeah. these sorts of issues and ended up taking the whole show. Like I said, Stephen Wolf's a little long-winded, and so am I. <laughs> All right, so what do we think about this, uh, this Article 3, the, the start, the affirmation part? And he thought, I'm going to say that one of the things that, that I, I found— jump out to you. That I, that I found uh, interesting about this is it's not all that practical, really. It's more theoretical. I would argue it's very theoretical, very theory-based, which is fine. We have to understand our theory. But when it comes down to this Christian national thing, the debate has really been about how to apply our theory. The application is really where people are having their, their disagreements. So you have to ask the question, you know, how does this apply to issues of idolatry? How do you legislate that? You know, what does it mean with regards to the Sabbath? You know, we've had people on this show in the past year, like Stephen Yerger, for example. He is passionately committed to the idea that the Sabbath and worship gathering should be on what we call Saturday. Right? Yes. Yeah. David Forsey's church meets on Sunday. I have pastored churches in the past that meet on Sunday. In fact, there was a time when Household of Faith in Christ met on Sunday. We now meet on Saturday, but it's not out of theological conviction. It's It has to do with, you know— lifestyle questions and our family needing to have a day of rest and those sorts of things. And Saturday evening works better uh, for us in that regard. So what would a Christian nationalism statement like this have to say about that? Like, would they side with Steven Yerger? Would they side with David Forsey? Would they side with me who doesn't really care? Like who would they, about that question, who would they, <laughs> who would they side with? And, and, and when it's all theory, I don't know that it really helps answer that. That's my, that's my sense and my, my, uh, my feedback on this part of the statement. Yeah, yeah. This, I mean, this just seems to say uh, that God's law is right and true, and so we should. I agree. We should do it. So now what? <laughs> right. It's like a, it's like a sermon, right? A good sermon is gonna 
you know, it, it, it's going to help you to understand the context of what's being said. It's going to walk through the text and explain the meaning of the text, what God's Word says. This is the truth. This is God's Word. But then, of course, it's, if it's a good sermon, it's going to have some points of application. How do you put it into practice? And at least this part of the statement doesn't really help us to do that very well. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this is—so this seems okay. Yes, if uh, if a Christian is in a position of civil authority, then they should— seek to promote God's law um, and and judge according to that. But this is talking about, uh, uh, you know, all, all civil authorities. Maybe it's just saying all civil authorities should be should be Christian authorities. That's what they're—well, I, <laughs> I think some of them do say that. Some of them would, would try to say no, but then you try to ask them, well, how does that work then? And they haven't thought that part through yet. Right. But those who have thought it through in a particular way, they say, well, absolutely, we should only have Christians. I'm like, well, who gets to decide who the Christians are? And or, yeah. Or, or, <laughs> Does the government decide that? That's or, ecclesiastical matter. Or maybe they're saying uh, all, all people, all civil authorities, whether they agree with it or not or like it or not, should act according to and enforce God's And that's a real problem, law. right? Because when we're putting a yoke, a burden upon them that even the Christians really can't withstand themselves. How, how, are we, how can the non-Christian walk a Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit, it's impossible. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's not even possible for Christians. <laughs> Who are we kidding? Like, right. But to put that burden on them, I, I don't see how it's, it's, I think that's a real weakness in some of these arguments, mm -hmm. by yeah. the way, I'm going to spend a lot of time, but just to put it, read it into the record. Maybe it'll spark a thought that David has. I don't have a whole lot more to say. I don't think on this article, but the denial here says we deny there is any objective standard by which to discern justice from injustice outside of God's revelation written on the heart and most perfectly revealed in scripture. We deny that faithful civil authorities may rule autonomously from the rule of Christ. We deny that God approves of Christians embracing any political ideology or position prohibited by scripture. See, the, the, again, the battle is over where the rubber meets the road, and this doesn't help us to see how the batter, rubber is supposed to meet the road. And if we try to apply it, this theory, it, it seems to me it falls apart pretty quickly because they're saying that um, they're, they're, they're saying there's no objective standard by which to discern justice from injustice. Okay, I agree insofar as it goes, but by God's common grace, there are plenty of examples where there are standards of justice and injustice that are godly, that are biblical that are based on objective truth that aren't instituted by Christians. Right. And it, and the, it looks like they would say, well, that, that came from uh, God's revelation written on men's hearts. Correct. Right. And so they were able to find their way to some truth, you know, a part of the truth, and bear the image of God as, you know, God has made all men able to do, all mankind. Yeah, when it says we deny that faithful civil authorities may rule autonomously from the rule of Christ, he, uh, understood one way, and I, I try to be a generous, generous reader and a generous hearer, so I'm going to say, yeah, understood one way, I agree with that. But I also understand there's all this fighting going on, and so I'm like, okay, those who, dis, who would disagree, why are they disagreeing? And there is room to disagree with that, the way they've stated it. Yeah, yeah, with the wording. For sure. Yeah, so that's that's the, 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 the flummoxing part of all of this. Anyway, Article 4. Here we go. The definition of a nation. I think you asked this question a couple weeks ago, Probably. if I'm not mistaken. I like definitions. We affirm that a nation is not merely an idea. 
I like they added the word merely there, by the way, <laughs> because that's been common these days in these places where people say a nation is not an idea. Like people say America is an idea. You've heard that, right? America is an idea. You ever hear that? Oh, I've heard it a lot. That's weird. Yeah, well, it is weird. But I think it, part of it is part of it is an idea, right? This it's this great experiment. It's about freedom. It's about God-given rights. There's the, there are this collection of ideas that if you wanted to encapsulate them as an idea, you could say that's part of the foundation of this country. But to, to only say that America is an idea isn't saying enough. But there are some people who say, no, America is not an idea. And I'm thinking, well, that's saying too much. <laughs> because right. it, the idea is part of what this nation is, all, all nations are about. There's some idea, you know, whether it's a Marxist country, the Marxist idea is part of that nation. Right. You know, so. I, idea, I, ideology. Exactly, There's right. An association there. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it goes on to say. So we affirm that a nation is not merely an idea, abstract principle, or ideology, but also, I think the word should say, I've inserted the word also, tangibly defined by a particular body of people in a particular place. And I think that idea of, of place is important. That's why we have borders. It's part of what our cultural heritage, you know, there's, there's a connectedness. You go back to your yeah. old hometown and there's an emotional connection to that place. I think place is an important part. And, and particular body of people, right? Either it, 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 you are either a member of the nation or you're not. Right. Right. And the people that are a member of the nation are the people of that nation. Right. And they live in a particular place. That's what they're saying here. Yeah. And our more localized context, you either live in Frederick County or you don't. Mm -hmm. You know, that places and then the people that live there, it's an important part of defining what what that is. Next sentence, we affirm that a particular people are necessarily bound together by a shared culture, customs, history, and lineage while sharing common interests, virtues, languages, and worship. I feel, I'm not sure what they're meaning to say by lineage, but I feel like that's an unforced error because a lot of people are criticizing people who are self-identifying as Christian nationalists, as kinists. Right. Kinism meaning that, you know, whites need to stay with whites, blacks need to stay with blacks, Chinese need to stay with Chinese, right? Or like, or, or Scots need to stay with Scots. Exactly, and... <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, Germans need to stay with Germans, whatever. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it, it's, uh, it's very clan-ish. Mm -hmm. And uh, that would be anti-scriptural. Right. And they push back against it. They say, no, 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 we're not. Now, there are some who call themselves, we talked about this last week, they would call themselves Christian nationals, and they are kinists. But that doesn't mean all people who say they're Christian nationals are kinists. And I would say the majority who are calling themselves Christian nationalists, based on what I can tell, are not kinists. But then they put a word like lineage in the middle of this statement. I'm like, wow, what do you mean to say there? And could you have used a different word? I guess lineage has to do with, uh, I, I mean, so I'll, if I give them the benefit of the doubt, I think they mean the idea that people of a nation are generally born in that nation and are more generally born of people of that nation. Okay. So, so what unless, would be a, is there a so, different so, word? So unless unless you're changing uh, nations every generation, you develop a a lineage in a nation, right? So there may be there may be transitional generations. So the people that are the particular people are necessarily bound together. What if we it just said necessarily bound together by and necessarily. That's an interesting philosophical term to throw in the middle of all this. I'm not sure what I think about that. But anyway, not to get bogged down. Bound together by a shared culture, customs, and history while sharing common interests, virtues, languages, and worship. 
like I, I think they're kind of saying the same thing without bringing a loaded or easily un misunderstood word, right? <laughs> it feels like a misunderstood, it feels like a, a, a forced error, I feel, an unforced error. I feel like those who want to criticize them of being kinists are going to pick up on that word and they're going to spend all their time defending that word when I don't know if it was necessary, <laughs> using that philosophical term myself, <laughs> I don't know that it was necessary for them to accomplish what they're trying mm. to say here unless they can help me to understand what they mean by lineage. Maybe there's a different word. Get out my thes my thesaurus and see what the options are for lineage. That would be a because doesn't that sound in today's vernacular? Like you're talking about race, like genetic connection. Isn't it, doesn't that, isn't that kind of what lineage brings to mind? Uh, I mean, I just think in terms of uh, you know descendants and uh, you know the the generations before and the generations after. Right, that's just a line. Yeah, see, and that's, I, well, okay, if that's what they mean, I think they probably do mean that. Then I, I, it's not only an unforced error, but I think it shouldn't even be in here. Because as far as I know, you and I do not share a lineage. I, I mean, unless we're going to go all the way back to, like, Adam and Eve, of course, then we do, or, or Noah. Right? Then, then we all do. But that's what they're talking about. They're talking about in the context of America, in our case. Right. In the context of America, you and I... As far as I know, don't share a lineage. I don't think that if we go back 500 years that we have a common ancestor that we could prove. We might. You know, somebody who's going to be on the air shortly after our program ends, the Neil Chimpong, one of the pastors in town, does a show on WFMD, airs at 930. Neil and I are friends. And, uh, I mean, he is first generation in this country. He came from Africa. I could say with a little more assurance and confidence that I don't think we share any lineage. And yet we share a country, we share a nation. We're, we're part of this particular people that's here that now have uh, assimilated. And so we have a shared culture and custom and history as far as it relates around America, but we don't have a shared lineage. I just feel like that's, I don't think that word should be there. I would suggest they take it out. Okay. Anyway. Over Overcomplicating the definition. Yeah, I don't think, I, I, that's not what we need right now. <laughs> we affirm in regards to place, quote unquote, that a nation is definitively set by both its borders and times, I don't know what that means, physically defined by God. And they reference Acts 17 there. What do you mean by times that are physically defined by God? Do you have any idea? Uh, I mean, I think that they're just referencing that verse um, in, in Acts 17. Acts seventeen twenty six. I, I think it says something to the degree of God God determining the the borders and times of of nations. And and my my understanding of that verse is that God determines the rise and fall of empires. Right. Yeah, I just don't think of in terms of time being physical. So I guess that's what's throwing me. Oh. Yeah, of course it's physical. Time is physical? Yeah. It is? Okay. Uh -huh. I learned something then. I'm gonna trust you on that one. <laughs> well, it, if uh, if you are going to do a physics problem, yeah, right, you're talking about something in motion. Mm -hmm. Time is an aspect of that, right? How long uh. it, how long it takes okay. for the physical thing to move right. through space? I'm persuaded. <laughs> I'm persuaded. I just wasn't smart enough to know what that meant. So now now I'm I'm, I'm still not smart enough, but um, I'm buying what you're selling. <laughs> Thus, we affirm that nations should rightly maintain autonomous government of their people and place with the necessary rights and duties to, prioritize, one, prioritize the security of its people by maintaining its borders, providing for its common defense and repelling invasions from without and insurrections from within, 
Two, promote the prosperity of its citizens. And three, enforce justice. I'm not sure what autonomous is supposed to mean there at the beginning of all this. To rightly maintain autonomous government. Autonomous from what? I guess from other nations. From outside nations interfering, if right. that's what they mean. Okay, they get that's to, fine. They get to rule themselves. Yeah, I feel like they could add an additional phrase to make it absolutely clear what autonomous is supposed to be talking to, because we're not autonomous from God. They've said that in their own definitions. Right, right. So, and then to promote the prosperity of its citizens. Hmm, I, I, I'm not sure. How should I feel about that word, promote? Is it the, is it the, the government... Is it, is it the government of our nation, is it their role to promote my prosperity? Yeah. It is? Mm-hmm. Because if they're uh, encouraging what's good and punishing evil, then they're they're promoting prosperity. If evil is if evil mm-hmm. is judged, right? If there's uh if there's good punishment of crime in order to minimize crime, that increases the, the peace. Okay. Thus the prosperity. Okay, the reason that yeah, I guess as far as that goes, I agree with that. The thing that popped in my mind and made me wonder just a little bit is, isn't that kind of the argument for things like affirmative action and welfare? Well, that's uh, and that, 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 government provided healthcare. That, that that's a question of what what political system <laughs> does the best job of yeah. promoting. Yeah. Okay. The good of its citizens. All right, so we, we need better messaging, is what Dave is telling us. We need to get our message out there. Control the narrative. Uh, <laughs> All right, so we deny that a nation should cede its sovereignty to international bodies. So they're clarifying what was above. So I think mm-hmm. that is what they meant above. Yeah. Uh, gov- so nations shouldn't cede their sovereignty to international bodies that may subvert the will of the national interest for global order. We deny any efforts to establish a one-world governmental system before the return of Christ, as such efforts are a reenactment of the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. We further deny that sovereign nations must only be composed of mono-ethnic populations to be united under God. Therefore, as Christian nationalists, we utterly repudiate sinful ethnic partiality in all its various forms. So, so there's, that's, that's their way of clarifying what they mean by lineage. Except, or, or at least or, or defending the, what, against the kinist right. charge without necessarily defining or, or, what they mean or, by or lineage. Or clarifying what they don't mean Right, by we're not saying kinism here. <laughs> you know, it's interesting to me, though, because a lot of the guys that are into this Christian nationalism thing, like big time, some of the mm-hmm. big voices in, in proponents of this, are post-mill guys. Yeah. Well, isn't kind of the post-mill idea, ideal that there's going to be, like, Christianity sweeps the world and there's this great age of everybody's... Under the rule of Christ, isn't, well, the, that, isn't the, that some sort of form almost of a one-world government? Well, if uh, if the Great Commission is make disciples of all the nations, if there's if there's just one nation, one world order, then that's no, that that doesn't fit. There still need to be separate nations, just all of which are discipled. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. I'll take your word for it. We don't have a whole lot of time. This is a long one. I'm going to do my best to just do this concisely so we can try to just finish Article 5, and when we pick up in our next show someday, we'll pick up with Article 6. So, Okay. Article 5, the nature of Christ's lordship and kingdom. We affirm that in addition to possessing the titles of Savior, Messiah, and many others, Jesus, the Son of God, who is truly God, is also the king of all earthly kings. 
the Lord of all earthly lords, and the lawmaker for all earthly lawmakers. He's the possessor of all authority in heaven and on earth. We affirm that as God, Jesus Christ is preeminent over all creation, sovereignly rules over all things visible and invisible in heaven, earth, and hell, and ordains all things according to the counsel of his perfect will for the good of those in him. We affirm that in his mediatorial role, Christ rules by his spirit and word through the saints in their earthly authority. We also affirm that as sovereign kings of kings, or king of kings rather, singular king on the first one, uh, Christ has commanded all civil authorities, Christian and non-Christian alike, to execute his will on the earth to orient humankind toward himself through the moral law. We affirm that Christ alone, through the blood of his cross, grants repentance and forgiveness of sins to reconcile sinners to his Father. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to read the denials real quick, too. We deny any theology which would seek to segregate sacred aspects of life where God's word is authoritative and supposedly secular aspects of life where the Christian must operate by a standard other than God's word. We deny any theology which claims that bringing God's word into the civic civil fear, sphere is unwise, unfruitful, sinful, and anything other than fitting and required. We deny that Christ, or Jesus, is, <laughs> mentally I said Christ there, it says Jesus is on the page. Kingship and lordship are merely heavenly or that his word is only authoritative over confessing Christians. We deny that solely by virtue of their claims to authority or the claims of those who support them, any human or group of humans who claim to be civil authorities are in actuality recognized by God to be civil authorities. Whew, take a breath. Okay, that's a, lot, that's a lot of words and we got like three minutes uh, before we're done. What are your... Well, General reactions to that. Uh, I like the affirmation. I didn't see much to sort of uh, take issue with there. I think there's a lot of fruit for uh, discussion in the denial. Um, yeah, one of the things about the affirmation, real quick, and I'm not going to take a lot of time on this. I, I, they're saying a lot of things that are true that I would actually hold to and, and, and agree because yeah. my amillennial eschatology actually uh, fits very nicely with what they've said here. Uh, but if it's already true, then what's the, what's the change they want to see? Because they may, as, as though this is already what's the case. God, Christ is already king. He's already ruler. Yes, he is. So what are we trying to change exactly? And if they're trying to change it uh, and bring the future eschaton, the future glory into the now, it's like an over-realized eschatology that they might be advertising, uh, advocating for, and I get concerned about where that could, could lead, because we can't bring the future into the present like that. I, I, th I think what they're saying is, uh, since he is Lord of all, we should live like it. Our, we should work for our reality to, to reflect that, just like we do as individual Christians seek to walk in Christ's righteousness and, you know, bear his, his image of perfection, be holy as God is holy. I think they're saying that that doesn't, that doesn't, shouldn't just apply to individuals' lives, but should apply to, to everything to the point of societies on the whole. Okay. The other thing that caught my attention in the affirmation is it says that Christ has commanded all civil authorities, Christian and non-Christian alike, to execute his will on earth and to orient mankind, humankind toward himself through the moral laws. This feels like we're asking non-believers to teach <laughs> believers. That, uh, that's one way that you could understand how they phrase that. I think that they could clean up their language there. Right? The, the, the non-Christians are to orient humankind toward God. How can they do that? They don't even know God. How are they going to orient God, people toward God? 
Anyway, hmm. you see what I'm saying? I think I, I don't think they're they're trying to say what it sounds like they're saying, but I think they could clean that up. Yeah, I think they're essentially saying that the that by all ought to keep the moral law, and that any keeping of the moral law orients humankind towards towards yeah. Christ. We're we're basically out of time. What we're going to do though, because we are recording this uh, as a um, as a live stream as well, so maybe we'll do some bonus coverage just to finish up the thoughts on this on the on the stream, and uh, that'll encourage you to, to check us out on multiple platforms, not just the, the radio show and the Faith Debate podcast. How about that? So we're going to put a, a put a, a a bow on this. We got like thirty seconds left in the show. So anyway, thank you, David Forsey, for uh, yeah. for, for for being my partner in crime on this one. Uh, thank you for listening to the Faith Debate on News Radio nine thirty WFMD. You can follow us online at householdoffaithinchrist.com, householdoffaithinchrist.com. Of course, at WFMD.com as well. That goes without saying, I would assume. Anyway, thank you, David. Uh, thank you, listener. It, it, we uh, got through five articles. Um, how many? I think there's 20. Yeah. <laughs> so we might be doing like three more recording sessions. We tend to record, you know, anywhere between three to six uh, shows at a time. We're going to have to do at least two, maybe three more recording sessions to, to put a wrap on this. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully we'll maybe get Daniel and Imran into the mix for some of those shows. Anyway, thanks so much for your patience with us and uh, my, my rambling on occasion. I'm going to try to rein that in. Till next time, 167 and a half hours from right now. God bless. Past editions of this program are available in the audio vault at WFMD.com.